Hello, fellow humans. How do you do? It's been a while. Oh my gosh. It's September right now. For you, it actually might be a different month of 2022 for me as I sit at this desk on this microphone. I don't know if you can hear me when I whisper too much. Gotta make sure you guys can hear me. Anyways, I'm so... <laughs> so excited. I am pumped. I want to say that with more enthusiasm, but it felt like more of a stoic pumped. Like I didn't want to put too much emotion because if I get too excited, you're going to oh, you're going to get all excited on the other end too, but I I'm I'm super pumped actually. I am so excited. This is the first episode I've posted since the end of November or early December of 2021. And, um, whenever you're listening to this, whether you're listening to it, like right after we post it, because you're one of the subscribers, um, and it's a free subscription, not, it's not a paid subscription. It's just, uh, uh, I mean, I know there's people that follow and subscribe on like Apple or Spotify or, you know, any variation of these places, but this is the the first episode of released in a while. And, um, what's exciting is, uh, our guest, the, I mean, I truly love this. It's so much fun. Um, doing this and then, you know, talking to some of you or getting messages, email. I mean, I was at a barbecue and someone was like, do you have a podcast? And I was like, oh my gosh, it was very, it was very humbling um, because I literally just sit here and talk to people. And right now I'm, there's not even people around. I'm just talking to myself in a room that's attached to some audio equipment and then people listen to it and it's, it's fun. It's exciting. It's exciting for me. Even if nobody listened to this, I think I would still do it. In fact, I don't really know how many of you listen to it. Do I? Maybe I kind of do. Yeah. I'll look at that sometimes, but not too much. Um, this is really great. And let me talk about today's, it, I'll give a little bit, I wasn't going to go too much into this in terms of why there hasn't been an episode in a while. I mean, my closest friends know, and I posted a bit about it on social media. Essentially, it's just been a wild ride this year for me in the health world. And there's a certain expectation of I have of myself when it comes to doing uh, a podcast or just doing anything in general. Like I'm one of those, how you do anything is how you do everything. And I've I've sat down, I've I've made many attempts to get this going again, and it just it hasn't hasn't worked out for one reason or another. Mostly health related issues. There's some new health things in my life that I'm. I've very much learned how to deal with. In fact, I recorded an episode today and me and the guy Max went out after the episode. That's going to be posted later. He's launching a product and asked me not to release it yet. He wants to wait a little bit um, until the product's kind of there because we we talk about some top secret stuff. But um, it was interesting. We have a shared health thing that popped up on him years ago and he was telling me how it manifested into his like physical, like what was happening with foods and things like that. And it was, it was almost identical to what I've been experiencing and what I'm dealing with. And uh, it has to do with like autoimmune, has to do with certain foods. And we all know, I mean, hopefully we all know that the U S has like prolific health problems. And a massive part of that is from the food supply and what's in our food, how we do the food thing. And it's just so much more, it's crazy because you have worse nutrition in the u.s like we don't have as much malnutrition as other countries um just from lack of food like we have an abundance of what appears to be food but really not an abundance of nutrients 
or proper uh, components of nutrients that make for healthy people. So we are not doing great in the U.S. And um, it's super apparent to me this year as some of these other health things popped up of finally got it dialed in. I'm working with a super good naturopath. She has been so helpful uh, in so many ways. In fact, shout out to Dr. Kelsey Myers over at Koi in La Jolla, which is in San Diego, California. So I've already referred so many people over to her and I've just, everybody I talked to that has met with her is like, she's so great. So Dr. Kelsey Myers at Koi, K-O-I, um, it's a, a naturopathic clinic. She's an ND and she has been phenomenal. Even just having someone to like talk to, which is really gone from the Western medical system for the most part, although it seems like it's a big shift, is that if I sit down with my MD as in Mary, you know, Mary dog, MD, um, they don't really care like what I'm experiencing. It's like, how do we cut it off or give you a pill for it? And uh, anybody that I think is really in tune with their health knows the pill is not the answer and you really want to get to the bottom of things. Otherwise, you just are prolonging something or putting a Band-Aid over it that causes something else. So I'm going to get off my my medical soapbox right now and just say, feeling great, looking pretty great too, and I'm single. Okay, that was too much, but <laughs> I don't know. When you listen to this, I might not be single because the plan is not to be single forever. Anyways, looking good, feeling good, uh, feeling super sharp again. Energy is amazing, so... Um, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Today's episode. Today's episode is uh, with a really fantastic guy named Nathan. He is probably, I mean, I, I feel like pretty fortunate at this point in life. I've met, there's somewhere around 5,000 phone numbers in my phone. And I know that almost a thousand got deleted at one point due to some email connection thing on the phone. But fair to say, I've, I've met a decent amount of people in my lifetime. I've lived a pretty adventurous life. I've, you know, been nomadic in certain ways. I've uh, been pretty open to go out and just trying new experiences, which has just made it so that I've met a lot of really quality people. I've also met a lot of really, really smart people. Now that, that sometimes, you know, can be a gift and a curse being super intelligent, uh, because sometimes when you're super, super smart, there's not a lot of other people around you that are that smart. You can be in kind of a challenging spot. And then there's sometimes, yeah, you know, so anyways, to each their own. But, uh, I just want to say this guy's super, super smart. And he's really, really cool. He's been so patient because we recorded this episode months and months ago. And the plan was to kind of how we're doing everything else. Like I would usually get the episodes up within a week and fast forward, you know, nine, 10 months. I think we recorded in like December of 2021. It's still relevant though. I just, you know, went back through it a bit to scope it out. And we talked about like nutrition, milk, you know, is milk good or bad for you? He talks a lot about trauma. And how to like physically, you know, the physical manifestation of trauma and how to like not hold it anymore in your body, which also leads to health problems. So I should probably call this guy again and be like, what's up now that he can, uh, you know, be like, dude, you finally put the podcast up. So here it is. Uh, super cool. I'm going to give you a quick plug too. you know, we, uh, say a couple things about sponsors, by the way. So, I want to thank everybody. Like there's been some people that reached out, you know, like about sponsoring the podcast, things like that. We've had some sponsors on here. Um, I'm going to reopen it. So if you or anybody that you might know, anybody, you might know somebody that 
would like to sponsor a podcast, we're super open to it right now. Um, you know, can talk about that, but, uh, I'm going to give you a quick plug. It's a little bit shameless because I am one of the founders of today's sponsor. Uh, <laughs> can I only say sponsor because, uh, I feel like that's just, I mean, technically it did fuel us for the podcast. Anyways, I'm going to talk a little bit about it and then we're going to jump into today's episode with Nathan. Super, super smart guy. You can find him on Instagram. Uh, it's a little bit, it's got like an underscore and some other things in it, but it's MoveMed, M-O-V-M-E-D. You can find him on my Instagram. In the episode, we might even plug it a little bit, but if you go to my Instagram, which is humanderic.com, or you can actually go to humanderic.com too. That's where the podcast is at. Uh, it's the easiest way to find the podcast on a bunch of different things like Spotify, uh, Captivate, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Just go to humanderic.com if you want to subscribe on your favorite podcast listening channel. Um, but you can find them on the on Instagram. Human Derek is me. That's my Instagram. Follow me, whatever. And then you can also find him under Move Med. And this episode should be posted somewhere on there as well. I'll try to put it in the podcast link description uh, when it's published too. So you should be able to track him down. You just, you might want to follow him because of the stuff, the content he's been producing lately is so good. Um, super smart guy. So that's, that's Nathan. Okay. Today's sponsor, it's going to be a coffee sponsor, but if you've listened before, it's not the same coffee sponsor. It's a new coffee sponsor. I do want to thank our old coffee sponsor, Guadalupe Roastery, because they're the people that made this new coffee sponsor possible. New coffee sponsor is Shady Lion. <laughs> uh, Shady Lion Coffee. So that's S-H-A-D-Y Lion, like the king of the jungle. Um, although they don't always live in a lot of like jungles, do they? Now that I think about it, like they're more in the like, like open range. Interesting. The lion is a, okay, topic for a different day. But uh that's a weird, I'm going to have to go down that rabbit hole. Why is it called the king of the jungle? It's the king of the the open plains in Africa. But anyways, so it's shadylion.com is where you can check it out. A couple things. A lot of people have been like, yo, what's special about the coffee, right? Because they know me. They know that anytime I put, you know, my energy into something, it's got to be a little bit different, a little bit special. There's nothing in the coffee. I've had people go like, what'd you put in the coffee? Right now we have one particular, we're just focusing on one thing, doing one thing really, really well. And that is providing a super premium coffee bean that is unique in terms of where it comes from, the type of coffee. It's an Ethiopian sweet lily, and it's also a medium roast. I won't make this a, a coffee podcast right now, but a lot of people are used to dark roast, has like more oils in it, things like that. Um, and it actually gets away from the true coffee flavor. So you're going to taste more like sweetness in this, the way we did. It's a little bit sweeter of a coffee. Some people like to add some things to it, like oat milk, stuff like that to kind of, um, offset it. But it's a, it's a coffee that you can eat straight up or eat, drink, whatever you can eat it. If you want, uh, goes well cold. If you want to make like a cold brew out of it, it's a really, really good coffee. It's considered, there's ratings for coffee. There's like what's called a Q rating, a cup rating. Um, this coffee, like there's, there's other Ethiopian coffees out there that I, you know, research in all market research that get like a, what would be called like a score of 84. And, and I've seen them charge $40. I've seen, 
I've seen one because it is pretty special. It was like 140 something dollars and its rating was 88, I think 86 or 88. Our coffee score, if you want to Google this stuff, you can talk about it. Like I said, it's not going to be a coffee podcast, but uh, it's a 93, what's called a consumer cup rating. So it's, it's in the low 90s. It is one of the top 1% premium. It's just one of the top 1% coffee beans you can get on the planet. I also am going to go on a tiny rant here just about mold. There's a lot of coffees out there to say, oh, we're mold free and and probably talk about that at a different point or maybe go check out Shady Lion Coffee on uh, Instagram or the website. There may be some more content about it soon. Um, I know there's something about in their mold, but I just want you to know that most coffees you buy, like I don't want to say almost all of them, but most, most coffees that you right now are buying, if you're listening to this, are mold-free, whether they market mold-free or not. So do a little research on that. I think what you'll find is some of these coffees are like, oh, we're mold-free. They're charging you more for something that already exists in the coffee world. It's kind of like uh, one of my favorite people on the planet, this guy, Kevin Orton. We talk about marketing sometimes and we just talk about business life. Uh, he is really, in essence, like a father uh, to me and has been for for many years. And we were talking about like back in the 80s, I think he said early 90s, they were trying to figure out new ways to market like a mattress. And they started going, the double-sided mattress. And I said this earlier to someone and they started laughing because all mattresses are double-sided, like if you flip them over, right? So this was kind of the thing. Same thing with mold-free coffee, like almost all coffee is mold-free. The only way it's not going to be is if it's super old, was like not stored properly. Basically, if it's just someone that doesn't care about their product, um, you might get a little bit of those mitotoxins and things like that. Even then, there's a lot of research and testing. Um, Joe Rogan did some of this. You can look at some clips from Joe Rogan in 2015 when Dave Asprey went on his podcast and was like, oh, you got to go mold-free. Um, Joe Rogan went because he launched his own coffee brand with Onnit and, and found out that that was all baloney. So I want you to know that don't buy into some of the baloney marketing out there. Um, our coffee is, <laughs> there's a lot of terms in the world that are being overused, organic and all this stuff. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. What does that even mean anymore? So I want you to know this is just a high-end premium coffee that you can trust because it comes from, from me and hopefully you trust me at this point. We've had, we built a little trust over this, even this is your first time listening. So, okay, I'm getting off the coffee soapbox, got off the health soapbox. Let's dive into today's episode. It's super amazing. Um, this guy, Nathan, is a killer. He's so smart. In fact, I want to do some training with him. You know, um, I'm probably going to reach out. I'm like, all right, I'm calling this guy. But uh, thanks for tuning in. It's Human Derek Podcast. Today's guest, Nathan. You're going to love it. Here we go. See, this is the real secret of life, to be completely engaged with the here and now. Everybody wants to fulfill the highest, truest expression of yourself. <laughs> it was all a dream. Today is about the power of you. You've now entered the Human Derek Podcast. <clears throat> How's this sound? Cool. Can I just pour directly from this thing? It's not gonna. It's not gonna pop off. What is this brand right here? The monkey. The monkey is on it. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Oh. <laughs> hello, hello. 
drink. Dehydrated, actually. Oh, you and I, I drink so much water, but I went to hot yoga this morning. Ooh. I'm with my phone on do not disturb or airplane. Uh, don't let me forget. We got to do like the little photo thing too. Cool beans. I tend to forget that a lot and uh, lean on everybody else to remind me. Are we already up and running? We are. We're going. Yeah. Cool, cool. Okay. Now we're good to go. So what were we talking about? <laughs> I think we were just talking about getting ready. I like it. Oh, hydration is so important. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to need to give myself a little bit of a real meal after this and rest and recover. We, yeah. Uh, yesterday was uh, a close friend of mine passed away, and it was just a, a heavy day. Yeah, man, that's... Uh, how old are you? I'm 26. 26? Is that the, the first time it's happened in your life? No. Um, I've lost my mom, my brother, uh, some friends. Yeah, those things are, it's, even culturally sometimes how we handle is very different. Yeah, I would say that uh, there's not really a culture to handling it here. It's kind of like a, we put a parade on or we put a celebration on, uh, more to the effect of being loud about the experience, but not really being careful about it. Because there's so many people who don't have a whole lot of emotional wherewithal. And so having something like this that changes their consideration of life and the delicacy of it can make people way less connected or way more erratic there are things that can happen immediately as a byproduct of death that if people are not uh, inducted into like an emotional environment with family or friends and this could be a collapse to an identity yeah it's and one of the you know i think actually the most selfish things that we operate by as as people is like treat other people how you want to be treated you know that that's why it oftentimes i used to go oh my gosh i'm sorry or things like that but not everybody wants that right Mm -hmm. everybody has their own sort of you know whether it's mourning or celebration like there's so many versions of how people process it on their own that what you know what is the a, a good response right now in terms of being emotionally aware. Totally. I, you, uh, I was smiling because I was thinking about a J. Cole lyric. Uh, it's like um, something about don't save her. Uh, I forget the, the lyric. But <laughs> talking on a uh, woman not wanting to be helped or like helped her way through her difficulty by the man she's with. Um, and I think just generally people are not in the habit of seeking vulnerability when they feel vulnerable to further condition that experience. People are not allowed to feel Dude, I came here with swollen eyes and came here looking a little bit uh, worse for wear, but I'm not judging myself for that. Like I didn't go outside yesterday because I look like I had some drug addiction or something with my eyes so red rimmed, but respective of um, I think being unconditional uh, or finding your unconditional self applies to how you're going to interface with the world when you don't want to. And today's one of those such times. I want to be a person that's less affected by how I feel when I need to get some stuff done. Hmm. And I don't necessarily need to get some stuff done right now. I just don't really want to spend my day crying in my apartment. (laughs) Well, and it'd be easy. Hold on one sec. I'm going to check one thing. Yeah. To make sure we're extra good. Okay, we're extra good. Cool beans.
and you know, you're, you said you're 26 and it'd be easy for me to be like 26 said he lived in PB. Like dude was probably out just having a good San Diego night last night. Right. We make these assumptions too. And we see, I think that's, um, when we see other people in a certain state and sometimes that is what can, I think throw folks off mentally is like, Oh, people are going to know that I'm tired or they're going to see that I'm not, you know, my best self right now. And so I have to conceal it, which doesn't allow them to process it and move forward. Sometimes you're too caught up in what you think other people are going to think. There's some crazy thing I heard, like we are, you know, we are what we think other people think we are. It's such yeah. a weird concept. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know how I can uh, put that into a smaller form respect of my thinking around it. But I think that we externalize every concept of self, uh, removing ourself from our sensory pathways and our feeling self and becoming a object of observance for ourself. And so people live in a world where they're expecting or coming up with like uh, profiles of how I have to be by this point in my life. And at no point do they ever measure how happy they are at any one of those intervals unless they're looking back or perceiving what might come from what things they'll have in their life. Uh. And I mean, to be truthful, you, you asked me if I'd lost anyone before. And that's the only thing that I really thought about for like 10 years of my life. Loss and not having what I saw around me, not being appreciated to the degree that I would have otherwise appreciated it. And... um I'm never going to get the life that I fantasized about, respective of those, like, 10 years of thinking about what I wanted outside of me. Excuse me, sorry. Uh, Beat it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Now you already have enough microphone damage. I'm going to keep these in Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> I think to myself that if I spend so much time thinking outside of myself, you what... In it? Yeah. If I spend so much there time... You, you hear that? Yeah. Way if I spend it. so much time outside of myself thinking about the thing that I want or thing that I don't have, I'm not paying attention to how I am in that moment. And so coming across you and if I'm uh, not uh, immediately personable in the way that I know that I can be and I'm thinking about whatever I've been in, then I'm going to lose out on whatever interaction that I could potentially have. And I've done that so many different times um, in ways that I feel like would have measured for me getting a job or me getting a connection or me getting a different frame in my life that would have made things a lot easier than I made it on myself. But I was always waiting for that thing to come into my life instead of being that thing and being unconditional when I framed myself around trauma or when I framed myself around difficulty. So I'm learning, but I think I'm doing a much better job of it now by jumping in the water, even if it's cold. I would say at 26, you put more effort into figuring out than many people and even i'm not a big comparison person right but you know when we figure these things out or become aware of them a lot of time it has to just do with experience and age which is a strange thing to think of but uh some people expedite that by throwing themselves into the fire yeah you know sooner rather than later and happiness is one of my favorite things like i've I actually annoy people sometimes. Like they just are like, they're annoyed. They're like, why are you that? Like, why are you so calm all the time? Or why are you, why do you just seem like you're always happy? It's weird. And I'm like, I just, I wake up now. If I figured out some things in life, like what matters to me. And then I just ensure that I hit on those on a regular basis. And 
I literally do just wake up like kind of smiling, laughing, popping into bed. Not every day, you know, something like, oh, like today my back, man. I don't know what I did in my back. Like it's there and it's just like poking at me, probably trying to fix too many things at once um, and like throwing my body off. But there is a lot to be appreciative for at a super basic level. And when we do that, it kind of um, adds like a compounding effect for for everything else. Although sometimes it's hard for us, I think, to remind ourselves that. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that if you don't have basic control of your autonomics, like your ability to breathe or perceive what you're looking at or feel where your body is in space, you're screwed. Yeah. And this is one of those times, I mean, I I could be freaking out as a byproduct of emotional instability or there being something that I thought was in my life no longer being in my life. That's, we like to tangibilize the constructs in our heads. So that could be something that could make me very, very broken or beat up as a byproduct. And I could remove myself from today and I could feel further distant. Um, but, uh, I don't know how to do the other. I don't know how to do the happy yet because I've spent so much time not being in that uh, I'm ready to be happy today. I was more in the, I'm scared of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, his name is Chris, Chris Daly. He was one of the co-owners and founders of uh, S10 Fitness. Um, I had a severe concussion two years ago, and that's when I met him. Uh, he kind of reintroduced me to uh, being present with myself. Uh, gave me a lot of tools to make my brain easier to tolerate and my nervous system easier to configure. And I went from feeling uh, heavy overstimulation to feeling like I could be a part of my own life again. Um, I really looked forward to seeing him and being around him because he was the type of person that didn't have to put words to the effort. I didn't have to feel like there was like a principled approach. It was like, I'm going to put this effort in because I know what I get out of it. And I'm going to continue doing that. I'm going to continue doing that. And he did. And um, the amount of people who cared about him who'd never met him is remarkable. Uh, The amount of people who cared about him who had just worked with him was remarkable. Um, But anyone listening, uh, check out S10 Fitness. Check out Chris Daly. He's still left behind a ton of stuff that can help you in your daily life and stuff we're talking about right now, like anxiety, depression, anything that comes into your nervous system, nervous space that's not welcome or is not easy to tolerate. Uh, check out Trust the Process at S10 Fitness. That's a, a cool way to approach learning how to navigate your brain without having to think in terms of, am I being the right person right now? Trust the process. Hey, there's he's influenced a handful of people that have uh, participated in and sitting in this chair right here too. I think, okay, uh, I know. yeah, I think you know if he was part of the Maui event too, we had Gareth on here and Mark Wildman. These are all people that have come in and trained with Chris. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> the cool thing is he's had so many professionals come in, and Francesco you, was just here like a couple totally. weeks ago too. Yeah, <laughs> she was very close with him. Um, yeah, man, uh, I, I just wanted to bring that to the attention cause I think that he's someone, uh, who deserves a lot more acknowledgement than, uh, he has gotten and, uh, he changed my life 
he made me feel like there was some value that I can uh, play with right now and not feel like it was always like that next step. I'm going to finally find it next step. I'm going to finally find it. Um, yeah, man, he brought my life back into something that I could appreciate. Sounds like a very, a very special gift. How, how did you do that? How did you start to configure that thinking? Uh, respective of wanting to be happy. I mean, just what you said, he, uh, helped you navigate your, so, um, he helped me with a lot of my, like my neurodivergent behaviors, uh, whether it be like, uh, anxiety or lack of focus or things that came as a byproduct of, if you might be able to tell my right eye doesn't open as fully. Like if I'm just sitting here, it looks like it's a little bit more closed. But when I was eight or so, I biked my head into a telephone pole and I knocked myself unconscious. Um, and I think what a lot of people don't realize about trauma, physical trauma that is, is it lasts in our nervous system because it's a framework of stress that our body perceives that might come back and or is a limitation or perceived threat factor. So if we don't have a good dialogue around the physical trauma, it'll inundate like a... Uh, uh, no, uh, nervous trauma or something of the sort. And we could very well end up being, um, restricted and or emotionally limited because we had a stub toe. And that's an exaggeration, but, uh, I've been going around with my eye slightly closed for most of my life or all my life and perceiving the world from a semi stressed or flexed state is something that heightens or upregulates our sympathetic response. So I was always conditioning myself to be stressed out just when I opened my eyes. Uh, and he showed me how I could do that in a different way. It's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, man. It uh, really is. The, especially the trauma we get as kids. I actually had biked when I learned how to ride a bike. I rode right into a telephone pole. <laughs> and I was, I think I was four. And I remember my grandpa like letting go in the seat, you know, and I'm like, I didn't realize it at first. I'm just like biking, biking, biking and this wide open street, right? Like there's, there's all this stuff to not run into. And then I realized he wasn't, you know, holding the seat anymore. And I'm just, and I see this giant metal telephone pole and then just target fixation right just on right it. There. Don't hit the pole. Don't the pole. You're like four or five or whatever. So you don't understand it, but yeah. you're just like, don't hit the pole. Don't hit the pole. And then boom, right into it. Just whack. So you learn. Yeah. That's unfortunately it is how we learn most of the time. I was actually just thinking, I think injuries are what condition our nervous system. So it's low grade trauma that conditions our nervous system to be, um, informed. I mean, when we're working out, we're facilitating low grade trauma to the body continuously. And if, you're playing a contact sport. Say you're kicking a soccer ball. It's a low-grade trauma or perturbatory like skin trauma. Mm -hmm. And that can travel in. It, 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 at the end of the day, you're inundating more inflammatory response by giving yourself contact with things. And the more that you can regulate that inflammatory response to make it a proactive and or uh, I'm going to build off of this, uh, you're giving yourself the opportunity to adapt and be stress adaptive but majority of us don't really do that <laughs> well and there's there's and stress is often associated with just being a bad thing but there's good stress it's called uh you stress right like when you're in that growth phase mm -hmm. of stress or pressure yeah how do you how do you figure out personally for yourself or when you're working with other people 
um, what their capacity is for being in a state of eustress versus distress. I think that most people don't have a concept of eustress and they don't identify it with at, uh, they don't identify it as eustress they identify it as challenge mm. or they identify they have different language and uh, um I don't pay attention to the language people use uh, as much as I pay attention to the the viscera like the how their limbic response goes to it or primal response to things is to emotionally or viscerally respond to things and you'll see animals are the best uh, examples of that or children are the best examples of that they'll show you how they feel before they'll give you an induction of like i would like for this to happen and you can usually gauge what it is you want they want because they're making us fuss about what it is that they're without or whatever but uh we like to convolute that as adults because there's some measures of expectancy or that like external view. And then so we start to remove ourselves from what it is we want. And we give ourselves, we give the other person what they want, which is not to see us fuss about something. And if there's some removal about that fussing, then we have no idea what it is we want or we're looking for. So I think learning how to assess motion mechanics and seeing how people live in their animal bodies, if it is even an animal body anymore, is a good way to tell if someone's trustworthy. Because hmm. if their reflexes are gone, then they don't listen to their limbic system. Is that what you mean by not being an animal body anymore? Yeah. They're just kind of way out of tune, out of whack with it? Totally. And yeah. That, I mean, that seems like that would take a while, but it, I, I was, I think even about just, uh, you know where we're at, the, you know, you can walk down to like the cove or something mm-hmm. like that. And I was having this discussion with somebody yesterday when we were talking about family coming to visit us from out of town or from wherever, and they were, you know, essentially saying, like, they have to plan differently when family comes from out of town because they're in really good shape. If we want to just walk the farmer's market or walk there, walk whatever, like, it's a couple miles, but, you know, or it takes 20 minutes, and that's just, like, a nice walk around here. Different parts of the country, not the case. We're there in the car all the time, just not working out. And so the concept of walking for 20 minutes is a a larger just mental task. So yeah, it, and it's not something that happens overnight, obviously, because when we're young, when we're whatever, we have more energy, we're p- more playful. Totally. What kind of people do you work with in terms of like a range of, of where they're at? With so their animal body. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're all, I, I like to think that we're the only animal that doesn't have a classification of movement. Like you can't look at the silhouette of a human and expect for it to move the same. But you can look at a dog and expect for it to move generally the same. And if you can associate that, uh, our DNA is not the thing that's that variable because we end up in the same like uh, four append or four limb body with a head uh, for the most part. And if we have that same uh, fixture, why is it that we all end up moving it so different? And I think it's because we. We remove ourselves from the sensory and limbic environment. We put a uh, mental constraint on a lot of our behaviors. So I can only behave this way in this environment. I can only do this in this environment. And then there's a loss of immediate expression or present expression. So if it's not permissible, then you have no permission. Uh, instead of just the person themselves giving themselves permission, which mm-hmm. is something that you look at any business coach, you look at any anyone that is of success that interfaces with people who are less successful, they're only giving people permission. They're not giving them the secrets because there aren't. 
it's an organization of social mechanisms and learning how to build on those once you give yourself permission to okay i'm going to take charge of my life <laughs> even even i mean body language just by itself like i do super weird stuff that makes people so uncomfortable mm-hmm. and i'll like i'd stand in the superman pose just randomly just because it feels good yeah and it it really throws some people off when yeah. i just stand there with my hands on my hips and i'm like bouncing back and forth in the yeah. hips i'm like oh it feels so good and they're just like what is this guy doing mm-hmm. you know or i'm just whatever just letting yourself be bigger and yeah i think a lot of people well you notice that a lot of people are like shy and yeah in their body language and they're consolidated and they're they're in a flex position and that really does go to say that since they don't feel their body their nervous system inducts how they're to organize their thoughts and feelings and they're in a sympathetic state they're in a stress state that they're holding on to and they haven't reduced it because they're still holding on to it and if their hands and feet are holding tension if their face is holding tension then majority of their homunculus brain and their inter- interactable brain is not interactable. It's just stuck. What the heck is a humun- homunculus? I didn't even heard that word, dude. What is that? <laughs> it's a uh, it's a mythological creature that uh, also associates with a concept and theory for um, putting an image to what the sensory and uh, mechanical uh, mechanical relationship with hands and feet and face to the brain are there's some parts of the brain that are significantly more attended to there's more nerves there's more uh, function and delivery of function so like this is way more articulate my hands way more articulate than my shoulder is Mm -hmm. i have like an open space to actually interact with even though there's a lot more moving pieces so to speak um and in your shoulder there's more moving pieces well i mean to say that there's a lot more um in order for it to function well, that there's a lot more subconscious utility of the shoulder. Mm-hmm. So my hand uh, has a lot more uh, control over my limb than you might think just because it has a bigger brain. And it can affect the health of the shoulder if I keep it in a tense position or if I'm always holding on to my tension, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, man, if there's a lack of blood flow to the space, the nerves don't get fed. There's uh, a lack of uh, mapping because there's not a continuous um, acoustic effect, so to speak. Like what comes and what goes and comes back through that area is limited because the muscle and the fixture is like smaller, it's tense. The nerves aren't perceiving as much space. So when you say you do those rocking positions and Superman positions, you're giving your brain the feeling of, oh, I remember I was bigger, happier, and more capable when I was in a bigger position. Uh, or like the brain is perceiving bigger and when the brain perceives bigger your body has more access it's just generally a more navigable world and i you know i think we're so let's just take like a hundred people sample a hundred person sample right you have people that are really dedicated to health fitness movement all these things and you have folks that maybe are excited at the thought and it feels like what an uphill battle that must be. And then people that just don't even know where to begin. And there's, you know, all kinds of versions between that. Are there just really basic things that people can do on a daily basis to start to open those, you know, pathways up for their brain and their body to be more connected? Yes. uh, But I can't say definitively there's one or two that everyone would draw toward. I think uh, if you look at the, 
like the simple form of uh you know move it too you can just like i mean it's got a lot of movement so like if you want to sometimes just like sit back that'd be better yeah whatever there you go when we think about um dancing and fighting those are like the most expressive forms of movement in like their highest caliber or highest dynamic form um i think more people can take their personalities and assess what type of personality they have if they're more of a dancer or a fighter and if they're more dancer-esque and they're more, uh, they like the um, softer shapes of motion, then finding something that gives their brain access to softer thought channels is a good thing to go about. Uh, I think more people need to find an expression or a release of the aggression that comes through testosterone production. Uh, our adrenal response and testosterone are so directly connected. Uh, not even talking about like male, uh, hormone. I'm talking about the hormone of a human being. It's just more dominant in a man. It translates to the, uh, willingness to perform physical effort. If you don't have a willingness to perform physical effort, or if you don't have a good wherewithal and production of testosterone, then your body doesn't want to move. And if you continuously inundate uh, um, an externalization of how your body finds value, so if it's money, if it's going to work, if it's uh, whatever, then you're not going to find that sensory value. Your brain's not going to map itself in motion. It's not going to map itself in activity. And so it's not going to feel confident from living organization. It's going to feel confident from thinking organization. And that's, I mean, it's why our planet's sick it's why everyone is like so removed from being connected with one another in life they're finding less connection to their sensory organ like well how is it possible that uh we can go uh what two years in the or like almost two years in the pandemic and there's a growing populace of um homeless people all over the world uh but our main focus right now is to consolidate around um, something that has the same uh, equivalency or uh, same sickness ratio as the flu. But there are people who are without homes. There are people without food. There are people who are losing everything and then being forced to f- be afflicted with this at a way higher degree than we are. Um, I just think that there's a measure of people are not so concerned about feeling connection they're more concerned about being perceived as the object of importance in society and until such time as we reconnect with sensation we won't have the visceral connection with the world around us i mean we were talking about plants before this started and how plants are like moving about the apartment uh to figure out like where they can grow most effectively and if you we're a human being living off that same structure. Most of us wouldn't be stuck in the same jobs. Most of us wouldn't be stuck in the same relationships. We settle for things that look good on the outside, but feel terrible on the inside. And it's super hard to connect with people as a result of that. A lot of people do that because they're not, you're just kind of carrying this thing that you don't really want to share. So then you're automatically cutting off connection. Or you're ignoring it because it only kind of feels bad sometimes or whatever versus unlocking it. I have two friends in the last week 
I am known for driving people insane once they tell me they have a specific goal, especially if it involves like starting a new business or quitting their job or whatever. <clears throat> I, I actually sometimes will just tell people, hey, I love that you're sharing this with me, but just so you know, if you're very serious about this, I'm going to bug you all the time. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, okay. And I'll just pepper, annoy, text, call like once a week, every couple of days, whenever I'm thinking about it. Hey, when you quit your job? Hey, when you starting your business? And uh, yeah, one of my friends just put on her two weeks notice. I think she's been there for a decade or wow. something like that. Yeah, but she has this like side business that really is a beautiful thing that helps people. I don't want to put her out there too far yet because she hasn't announced it, but um, really, really cool business. And just her going all in on it, you know, and even fear, you know, is usually why people attach themselves to something like a relationship or a job or whatever it is, fear of the unknown, fear of, you know, what if I have to give up whatever XYZ lifestyle I've built, you know, all these things. Like I know there's security in this income, even if it's not an income that maybe they're even happy with, but it's an income. And jumping over that fear hurdle is a, it's harder for some people than others, but it's such a beautiful thing. I think it's a mixture. So that's, that's the cognition of that, like a uh, stress and, and threat protocol of the brain. So if you fear is just another inundation of uh, emotional coherence or like cognition of threat. And if you're fearful of something, there's a reason to ask yourself why, if it's, if it's sensible or if it's a byproduct of, there's a lot of threat around this experience and you don't know what it is that, is threatening but if you can't figure the threat then you're you're a scared person you're living not just in fear of an experience but you how you do one thing is how you do everything how you translate that inability to process fear is how you show fear to everyone yeah there's a really cool i think people call it fear setting i didn't realize that i used to do this but this was part of my mental process for making big decisions hmm. I would literally ask myself, well, what's like the worst that could happen? What's yeah. the worst that could happen? What's, and I'd like go down that rabbit hole until I'm like, okay, so the worst that could happen is I end up super broke and reaching out to one of the, you know, 10,000 people that I've met over the last five years and say, hey, can I sleep on your couch for a couple of weeks while I refigure out my life again? Mm -hmm. And it's going to stink to have to do that, but there's somebody that'll hopefully let me sleep on their couch. Right. Totally. And it, but it's that, well, what are people going to think about me? And then mm -hmm. to, I've, I've hit the reset button on life multiple times. Yeah. And each time I've been extremely happy about it, whether it was like literally just sold all my stuff, took off to another country, uh, left like this, left a good, you know, legitimate thing where people are like, man, that's where I could spend 30 years doing it. I just wasn't happy. Yeah. Relationships were on the outside. Everybody's like, what? Like you guys had such a good thing going. I'm like, no, it's a, it's a nightmare. Yeah. You know? And they're like, but everything, the standard of living. everything's a nightmare. Like you just have to learn from me. Like, no, you guys understand. Like I'm just not going to be happy in this relationship long term. but there's all this peer pressure. Yeah. Rip off the bandaid, give it a shot again. Right. Yeah. Dude, I, People making decisions not for themselves but about themselves. Like uh, I, I don't understand how someone can live their life and so plainly make bad decisions for themselves that don't make them happy. I don't say they're bad decisions as if they're irresponsible outright, but they're decisions that don't treat that person in their one life or their one take around well. Like you're not going to be like given a 
prize and a reward after getting to 30 and like you did it so well (laughs) that the next stage you're just getting a free pass there's no helping it's just not something that happens it's it gets progressively worse if you get progressively less active or proactive Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i mean I, i think i got lucky in that i had a lot of experience that came early that made me perceive that soon uh i also missed out on a lot of experience so i don't have that um uh, I think I'm way more in the moment uh, than most people, and I think that makes it hard for me to be present for a longer extended period of time because I'm anticipating if I don't do this right, if I don't do this right, mm-hmm. then I might miss out on what comes next. And I think that's the inverse, just as unhealthy. Uh, at the end of the day, we have to stop thinking while we're in our bodies. It should be that we trust ourselves to enact healthy instinct. That's not inundated with insecurity and like antagonistic behavior. And that only happens with practice. When I think when you, when you start to live in a certain spot, uh, hold on one sec, man, I think all the cinnamon in my coffee mixed with like the hot yoga and the, uh, uh, just the dehydration of the day. So far, I literally loaded up on water. So when you, when you start to live in a place where you're kind of operating too and you look at, you know, who's around you and maybe the folks that you were around weren't operating like that, it can be much harder to be around certain people too if they're, you know, constantly anxious about the future or if they're really just on a tape recorder loop. Do these all have tape recorders? Tape recorder loop from the past, you know, replaying this movie in their head from yesterday or a week ago or two weeks ago. It's a uh, they're, they're definitely different feelings, different energies. And so when you start to get around people that are very much like, you know, they spend some time planning, probably in private most of the time, mm. a little bit of time to, to plan for the future, uh, actual planning, and then a little time reflecting on the past to get great information and learn from it. But then they're just in a state of action doing now. And, you know, that's a, the more time I see people spend there, um, the, the stronger energy they seem to have. Yeah, and they they usually attract really great people too because that's where you want to be. So your body language uh, reminded me of a question that you asked me earlier, and that was, uh, "Do you know of anything that people can do immediately to enact a better, more comfortable life?" Um, hmm. A focal skeleton. If you can make your skeleton face the object of attention, hmm. so you're not facing parts of your bigger brain of the body elsewhere i pointed right at you right now (laughs) yeah you are but you're also not in a position that seems like it's uncomfortable for you like you're not giving me your body's attention you're still maintaining your own Hmm. so there's like you have your shoulder in turn but it's not to the effect of it not being comfortable for you it's like push toward me there's a measure of like focus around the object that you're talking to but you're not being drawn into that um yeah, man, I, I, I'm kind of intense for people my age. I don't think that I, I get uh, a lot of like, um, people are plenty good at faking it till they make it. But when they realize that I didn't even start faking it in that conversation and they realize that I'm still at a like a degree of authenticity that I'm asking for beyond what they're willing to bribe, uh, it's either intimidation or it's distaste or something. But I have very few people that I can get along with and look in the eye the way I'm looking you in the eye 
and feel like I'm not threatening the person. And that's a fucking terrible feeling, excuse my language, to feel like maintaining eye contact and focus is something I'm doing wrong because I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool that you figure that out. It took me a while to figure that out, mostly because of the environment I was in. Mm-hmm. Got in a lot of fights. Yeah. And I just, uh, and I'd, uh, at a certain point, you're just kind of like, okay, I know I'm like, I have a tough outer shell at this point, in my, you know, at that point in my life where I was at. You just kind of, that was, uh, I was very much a product of the environment, but it really was, you know, I just kept, I always look at internal, like, okay, obviously I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time because I probably shouldn't be out this late or doing this thing or that thing. But just the act of like, icon yeah it's like it's like you go to the zoo and you see the gorillas and you're not supposed to stare at them like you shouldn't be around people that you can't just make eye contact with we're not gorillas yeah that's why i left (laughs) pp man the amount of times that i would be walking around i mean like i don't walk around like the biggest guy but i'm i'm fit and i can i can like take care of myself and a lot of these guys who walk around in that area are like uh they're fit but they're mostly loud and aggressive in that way that uh, people are not used to having that be the first exchange. So they get their like gorilla esque, like they get to beat their chest, uh-huh. walk around feeling <laughs> confident. Uh, but I usually make a comment about it. Like a, a guy comes by and like knocks my beer or whatever for no reason, and I'm not even ex- I'm not even looking at the guy. Uh-huh. But it's because I was s- focused and centered around someone, and they didn't like that. It happens literally every single time I go out. That's, huh. not an ex- that's not like an exaggeration. It happens literally every single time I go out. And so I don't really go out. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, I kind of, I live in a different world now where I forget that those things even sort of exist. I've definitely designed like a, a bubble to be in. I think yeah. having been in that environment a lot, uh, probably, you know, a little bit before your age, early, early twenties. I don't know, whatever. I think I was burned out on it. I'm like, no, thanks. Um, but transferring out of the night scene into an adult life. And there are still a lot of adults that I guess do live their life in that scene, but it comes out in other ways in the business world too. Like that same behavior doesn't just disappear. Mm -hmm. It just transpires into something new, whether it's, uh, interrupting a business meeting or, coming in strong and like assuming things without yeah. you know these gorilla behaviors are <laughs> are patterns that people carry yeah just walking around like your shit don't stink yeah and you're the one that is the only one carrying it like uh i see that there's a lot of real estate and a lot of trainers in pb there are a lot of uh a lot of careers that um are like cut and paste for people introducing themselves to a professional environment not to say that trainers are not effectual because I'm a trainer kind of and not to say real estate investors or people who sell real estate are not effective because there's plenty of people who make great livings and teach people to make great livings. But I think to myself, what career could you start in to make people impressed by your business card? Or what could you do all day, every day to make your body seem like a business card? And there are Mm. some people who live off of these primal instincts without knowing that they're living off these primal instincts. And then they try to engage you like a normal person, but they've only developed these primal instincts that have no language. And so you're dealing with someone who's antagonistic uh, that doesn't know they're antagonistic. And so if you're more clever around social mechanisms and you have to do all the work there, 
they have the ability to blame you because you've contributed more to the conversation. And so there's a bunch of these stupid monkeys who blame you for the noise they're making. Yeah, and I, you know, one of the things I work really hard on is to put myself in the other person's shoe when I see them doing super weird stuff. And I'm yeah. just like, all right. And sometimes I've even, there's a, a really strange thing that came up here recently. I mean, you know, the community we're in, like, it's not a very, it's a pretty peaceful place. Uh, and there's like some guy that moved in nearby and just had these like hyper aggressive tendencies. And like, some, you know, some of the neighbors were talking about it. And everybody really just decided, like, dude, this guy just needs a little extra love. Mm-hmm. Must have been a tough quarantine yeah. for him, whatever. And the more you, I think we all just, like, talk to him, engage with him, even a little, like, elbow bump walking by. You could tell he was surprised, mm-hmm. like, these people are being nice to me. Um, but but I think most of those re- reactive versus responsive, like, it's good to have some reactions. You know, if you are a fighter and you build a habitual response to a type of reaction, that can be really helpful. Sure. If the reactions are, are in a social environment and they're not conducive of, of strong social creation, yeah. then that is a reaction that you know could use reconditioning. Yeah. I think to myself, though, if we have to animalize or be an animal in mating all the time, then once we've stopped mating and once we've settled our biology and we start resenting our partner, then there should be somewhere with all that. Maybe we're doing it wrong. Mm. Because, I mean, yeah, you're fit, but you don't have any awareness of how you feel. Like that's, it. fitness is so misconstrued that it's this aesthetic, aesthetic dialogue and it's this whatever, whatever, whatever. But the gym was constructed less than 200 years ago. I think it was the early 1900s, but might be the late 1800s. I'm not sure. It was a utility to get a commercialized uh, fitness experience for people. Kids used to work out way harder in PE than we do now in the gym. There's no comparison between how strong people were before versus now. We have machines in every gym that were designed for the handicapped community. It's not designed for people who are uh, f- uh, fully functioning in their body. It's designed for people who have injuries. And so we fill up these warehouses with equipment that's designed for people who have limitations. And then you're going to design a handicapable uh, population. It's like we're not making ourselves stronger. We're making ourselves fit molds. What made us stronger was picking up rocks that didn't have uh, sides to it and then breaking that rock down and trying to build a hut from that or whatever. Like the more that you can move around random uncomfortable objects and not be discomforted by it, the better. And I think that if you like picked up a rock in your backyard and carried it for 15 minutes, you'd have a healthier life than if you went to the gym for an hour. And I think that's just a measure of having to task orient with your body. It's what kids did. It's what we no longer do because we have everything fixed and fitted. The aesthetic or the molding of things is to fit our butts and our backs. (laughs) And so we start to like round everything and we start to get into a flex position thinking that relax is facilitated by that. But no, we're going into fetal position and we're living in our most uh, stress state body that we can while we're trying to live our adult life. More people should do the Superman pose. More people should like stick their chest out and take big deep breaths and be able to maintain eye, eye contact. Like steadiness of focus is the steadiness of your interoception. Like how you can pay attention to your body without being diluted with noise here, noise here, noise here. You're not being 
like messed up with stimulus. You can listen to your body and also listen to the outside. Most people cannot do that. Is that what interoception is? Mm-hmm. Okay. The act of uh, sensing yourself or your inner body. Yeah, I've sat across from people, and I know myself too, you know, some of these have gone three hours. Mm. And I've seen people fade at about the 90-minute mark. I've seen yeah. people fade at about the two-hour mark. And it's the it's interesting, you know, just how long to focus on one task, yeah. especially conversation where you're combining breathing with thinking with trying to focus on what the other person's saying, not mm-hmm. thinking too far ahead. What if he says this? What if I say that? How do I respond here? You have to like sort of rest all of those things, right, to actually give it full attention and that seems to be pretty rare. Yeah. It's also days. super hard for people to... So, um, if your brain is always in stress state, it doesn't have enough fuel, like you're not giving yourself the ability... Stress is the dialogue. I mean, if you if you make sure you have lesser degrees of stress as you're doing your normal activities, you'll probably have a better life. And if, for people who you're talking to across the table, when they start to fade, give them a little sugar... <laughs> They'll stay longer. I mean, some honey I would be great. Kombuchas. I used to be anti-sugar, and I realized things like kombucha with the right amount of, like, it has a lot of sugar. But Dude, sugar is great for you. Sugar is yeah. the the force of the body. It's how you generate fuel. You just have to get it from, um, get it from natural sources. Get it from fruits. Get it from, uh, I mean, ideally, you can uh, get it from whatever you want but the more processed your sugar is the easier it is for it to do something to your body as it's not a uh, easily synthesizable or met, uh, metabolized product so fruit is really good for you uh, orange juice is probably the best thing really orange juice yeah so i have this your brain this really likes about orange juice. juices because i like the direct fact you know what there's this little tiny genius dude named naval I don't know if you've ever heard of him, N-A-V-A-L. You might really enjoy some of his stuff. He takes very complex concepts about the world and makes them very simple. Uh, crazy genius, like Silicon Valley dude, talks mm-hmm. a lot about happiness and how he had all this money and he really figured out, you know, happiness is way better. He already had all the money, so maybe he can say that. He even jokes about it. He's like, oh, maybe I was already, you know, the money helped me figure out the happiness thing because I had a bunch of time. But he's pretty open about stuff. Yeah, yeah. He talks about food and nature. He's like, I'm not a dietitian, I'm not a nutritionist, but here's what I've learned is if when you look at nature and you emulate, you copy that, you can get a lot of quality things. He said that the food in nature, it's very, very rare. So he says that um, fat is very satiating, like fat fills you up and sugar can produce kind of like activity energy in bursts. So if you look at nature, you very very rarely see fat and sugar combined in something you either see you know fat in one thing like meat or you see sugar in a grape totally so the exception that that i remember him talking about were like coconuts mangoes like these tropical fruits Mm -hmm. which i find interesting because anytime i visited a a country where those are like the natural fruits we take a lot of siestas so i'm like all right that makes sense Mm -hmm. um but he said the more you eat like that where you separate the sugars and the fats in different parts of the day mm. with space, the more energy, the more productive, just the better you'll feel and the more you'll maintain um, body weight health. So I think it's contingent on how your base or physiology is. If you're uh, stacked with muscle and you have good brown fat allocation, then uh, you can take more sugar without it being so consequential. 
um, just as a byproduct of you're probably good to do with natural fuel supply. And so your ability to metabolize is probably heightened and your ability to metabolize sugar is probably heightened. But if you have a susceptibility to putting on adipose tissue, like putting on fat, um, then sugar is probably not the best route because it's another reason to put on fat when you're not using that fat for its glycogen stores in the first place. So we want to be able to use the fat as the fuel and bears wear fat through the winter just to be able to not eat. It's just fuel. Uh, if people are living in a, f a poorly fuel, or sorry, an overfueled body that doesn't have enough metabolic tissue like muscle to burn away a lot of the or create more inflammatory response in the body, then you're not going to be heating up or warming up in a way that allows for you to cook out some of that toxin. So that fat just sponges up a bunch of toxin if it's not poorly, if it's not properly fed. Uh, but we should be eating uh, more fat from animals. Uh, we should be eating better quality butters, like better quality milks. Um, yeah, man, process everything. Uh, it, before, a hundred years ago, before they processed things, people consume milk. And regardless of what anyone wants to say, if your survival is at stake and you're considering the option of, I have a couple of fruit to pick off this bush or I have this goat that I can start milking, you're going to milk the goat. And you're going to be stronger in your body because the byproduct of that uh, uh, of that goat's milk is going to be way more synthesizable or way more what you are made of already than that fruit is. The fruit is a negligible amount of that energy. That milk is a tangible living form of that energy that uh, is way more susceptible to going to waste. So we get it when it's good. If we process it, we take about take out what's good, and so we make it kind of a heavy, not really great thing to to take. And so that's when we start to lose out on its value, and that's why it becomes a bad thing because it's uh, removed of its value. But dude, if you spent your your day eating uh, butter rich stuff or fat rich stuff, and you uh, you ate sugar whenever you got a little tired in your head and you made sure that you were well hydrated. I don't think you'd have uh, near as many issues with whatever energy or otherwise. Um, fat is satiating because it is the thing that gives us energy. We should eat more fat. I'm, I'm reading this book on Rockefeller. It is a freaking mass. It's called Titan, and the book is a Titan in itself. It's uh, I'm doing this one on Audible, actually, so I couldn't say that I'm reading it. I'm whatever. I'm absorbing this book, and it must have been 30-something hours when I started, and I think I'm down to 10 or 12, like just chunking away at it, but it's so fascinating, and it really made me think about, in a few spots, um, Rockefeller talks about drinking milk a lot. Is it an autobiography? Uh, uh no, it's Did he a, write it himself or no, it it's uh it's written this one was written in the I actually because there's there's a lot of biographies written about this sure. guy. I think this one was written in the nineties and mm -hmm. it was um specifically commissioned and it's, it's hailed as sort of the best version cool. of a biography for him. Yeah, but he you know, eight this is the eighteen hundreds and he's in his sixties, seventies as we're going through as I'm going through this book. And just super lively, active, healthy, talking about eating milk and crackers a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think about people that I've encountered over the last five, ten years in today's world that are 
you know, they get in their late fifties and they get in their early sixties and they're not doing so hot. And you, you look at some of those basic principles and I'm like, wait, so it was, I won't, I won't, I refuse to call Western medicine, traditional medicine, cause it's an inaccurate statement. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll call it modern Western medicine maybe for this case, but they're super attached to that way of living with pills for this pills for yeah. that and the quality of life in late 60s and 70s, not for everybody. I know some people that are also 60s or 70s that looks like they're going to go another 60 years, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. They tend to be more homeopathic, natural in their, their remedies for things in life. Um, and that's, that's what I really am taking away from some of these things about Rockefeller too. I mean, the guy was like milk, crackers, basic stuff, said I only use food for fuel. He actually had some statements about sugar though, but specifically more because of people eating super rich ice cream and things like mm-hmm. that. He's like, I don't understand why a person would... We eat ice cream. Like it serves no purpose to fuel your, to fuel your life. Like very, very strict dude on some things. Well, I mean, he was already going with all the dairy content he needed. So he's probably doesn't <laughs> adding sugar to that process. He was like, what does that even mean? <laughs> yeah. You, you said something called brown fat too. Did I hear that right? Yeah. What's brown fat? So if you spend a lot of time doing ice baths and the like, uh, even if you retain some fat measures, it's the more insulary more metabolic fat Hmm. it's fat that processes um heat better you retain it for the sake of being metabolic you don't retain it as an excess so adipose tissue is what we generally refer to as fat and adipose tissue is what collects a lot of that waste brown fat cells are not Uh, it's just the more metabolic and more um, thermogenic fat that you retain for your well-being and health. Um, yeah, there's another thing about temperature dilution, and I forget what it does. Um, but I'm reaching one of those points where my brain's fatiguing a little bit myself. It's <laughs> good. <laughs> so, yeah, you need some sugar? <laughs> uh, no, I think I'm okay. Some water? Okay. Uh, well, so thinking about my own personal kind of fitness journey, like I've had a lot of phases of it. I've gone from, you know, super, super endurance playing basketball a lot to where I was like very very lean but also Mm. super strong playing a lot of basketball and doing like you know basic uh, squats things like that to I went through a phase where I put on kind of an absurd amount of muscle it was just too much for my skeleton like Mm. it just hell like I just needed a lot more sleep it felt great to be ridiculously strong and watch barbells bend when you load the weight on the end of them didn't really serve a purpose beyond just being freakishly strong though Mm -hmm. and you know so I started thinking more long-term on a lot of fitness and stuff. And I went through a, a phase, it was probably the only time in my life where I put on uh, some fat. Uh, and it, it was a really good eye-opener because my family's fairly large for the most part. Most of them have, you know, they look different than me. Uh, they got a little extra padding on them. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you hear sometimes like, oh, you have good genetics, blah, blah, blah. And I, I put on a little extra weight. And it felt good. I actually yeah. felt good but you you know thinking about the thermodynamics portion of it i think it was the best regulated in terms of temperature i can ever remember being because i tend to run hot but i'm also crazy active like i have a hard time taking rest days because i just love doing stuff presumably you're in a chronic inflammation yeah we're running hot all the time yeah i mean if you feel like you have to move all the time to inundate a little bit of cooling effect uh, you probably are doing something to, you're probably in an upregulated state and you know that you're going to elicit that lower parasympathetic wherewithal in uh, just a little bit of effort. Hmm. But 
uh, I still think that you're probably running from some chronic inflammation. If you felt bigger and better, uh, you may not have as much joint stability at present now. Uh, you may have a little bit more uh, irregularity about structure, that it doesn't sit in its place quite so comfortably. Oh, yeah. So if it moves around a little more and if it's a little frictious with its other things, then it may uh, it may cause you just to be in a more inflamed, like, I feel like I can move this stuff because it's being aggravated. It's being antagonized in like a nervous sense. So you become aware of it. But if we can't feel it comfortable before we have to use it, then more than likely you're inflamed. Hmm. Yeah, there are some things I've been uh, working on a lot, which is like getting more uh, symmetry in a lot of things. And it's caused all the stuff to be super loose. Awesome. Sacroiliac is yeah. like way off. Uh, hip is kind of off. All this stuff just came, it's, I think it was an ACL joints in the shoulders. Mm-hmm. All this stuff just got super loose. And it feels... It's your uh, your AC joint, your ACL is in your knee. Or sorry. Yeah, AC, there you go. Okay. So there's all this stuff just came out of whack. And it's been, it's been a little bit annoying mm-hmm. to be like moving a certain way and just totally. feel a bone shift. But at the same time, because I know what we're working towards with the people that are kind of supporting me in the progress... It seems like it's it's temporary, like even the back thing. You know, I've been wearing like an eye patch, doing all this like crazy stuff to get everything balanced out. Yeah. And that's the first thing I was told on Friday. I was like, yeah, I think this is right. You know, the this back thing really seems like it's just your body adjusting. Like it's a temporary thing. We'll work what through are you, it. What program are you doing? I don't really have like a specific program. It's all over the place. I just have different people that I oh, gotcha. work with for cool, things cool. from... Uh, like cranial, sacral, yeah. chiropractor to even Mauricio. Yeah. Him and I, he's just like tortures me once in a while. I really like sacral, or cranial, cranial, sacral therapy, sacral, I don't know how to say it, uh, but what you're talking about, I, I really like it for its value in creating. Um, so it's a, that's a traditional medicine. That's something that's been around for a long period of time mm-hmm. and that we don't evaluate as something that's necessary. I think if anyone is laying in a hospital bed, they need uh, senior, uh, They need that therapy just to facilitate some blood flow or some like utility of the internal pump system so that you can have your body move while it's not moving. That's the biggest thing that causes sickness and a lack of healing is stagnation of our internal pump system. Hmm. So motion is just an opportunity to keep yourself from stagnating on the inside, thoughts or blood flow. Internal pump system, just just blood, heart, everything, like organs. So um, I'll give you my uh, rendition of it. Um, we got our diaphragm, and that has a like a three-part connective. It connects to our heart. It connects to our lungs. It connects to our brain in different capacities. And so that living connective system is what facilitates our autonomics or our ability to live without thinking about it. Um, when we can create the pump sensation through the entire body, like say you went for a jog and you feel like you're, uh, you feel like you can move around. You don't feel exhausted. You feel like you're a little bigger in your body. Uh, when the skin starts to swell from the blood, but it's a moderation of your movement and or heartbeat or your, your uh, oxygen intake as opposed to the stress you're enduring. Um, so not tension you're facilitating, but the amount of effort your body is pumping blood through your body 
then you create a kind of regulatory mapping system. And the more that you can translate the central diaphragm uh, through each joint juncture, making the hips, the knees, and the ankles, and then the foot a translation of that diaphragm, that push-pull, that ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. It sounds complicated, but in actuality, stacking the joints gives them that pressure dialogue, gives them that transactional channel of moving within the system. But because we utilize a tissue that inflames quicker as the more cognitive tissue, uh, that is the muscle instead of the ligaments and joints uh, and the tendons, we're creating a dialogue that makes us shift out of our structure. So dad bods or rolled in shoulders or humps on the back of the neck or whatever it may be that you feel like is a deficit in your structure, it's a byproduct of not having translatable pressure. Your body is not tensegrous in its ability to communicate pressure down the muscle lines. We're spindled together like we're like twisted at the ends of our hips. We're twisted or yeah, at the ends of our hips into the start of the leg. We're twisted at the ends of our torso in the start of the shoulder. If we don't follow that twist in the formation of our skeleton, then we're going to have miscommunicated relationships. Like our right arm and our left leg have a mechanical relationship where my right hand and my left foot or my right arm and my left, uh, my right arm and my right leg have a sensory relationship. So there's a measure of trying to like map motion through our neural relationship with things that we all do. And the less we move, say, one arm, the less we move the whole system. So when I say we're not really animals who can, like, move in a distinctive silhouette, um, most of us are holding attention that's restricting the utility of our entire vehicle. And so we're not using our body properly. We're not creating the full potentiation of it. And that's not even to say, like, if we got to that point, there's so much more available to us. There's so much less available to us because we're not at that point. We should all be there because it is a thing that keeps us emotionally regulated. It keeps us temperature regulated, keeps us immune, uh, our immunity high, keeps our everything and anything. When we can keep our levels at the state of optimization, we're giving ourselves the entire feedback channel we need that a doctor is kind of irrelevant unless we have a serious medical emergency. Yeah, man, that's, that's huge. I, um, I do have a buddy who lives over in PB and he's on a big party here. He's like super, but he left the pay-per-view event last night at like nine o'clock. So he can close to bedtime. He's like, I'm not gonna watch the last fight. It's bedtime. You know? So, uh, so not everybody lives in PB, right? Mm-hmm. We were talking about that earlier. We were just talking about dating and had a little, uh, kind of joke going on. Um, cause he, he is, I'm throwing him under the bus big time here. Uh, I won't use his name he's like talking to this girl and they got pretty serious pretty fast and um she she literally asked him the question that everybody jokes about you know would you still love me if i were fat and he's such a truthful honest guy and like very sincere and he's like super nice like he doesn't um and he what, what did he say he said some version of like you mean like on purpose? (laughs) 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 And, uh, when you're, when you're, you know, walking through the physical aspect being so tied to emotions Mm -hmm. and how we really, who we are, that's one thing I think of more that I almost wonder if I kind of subconsciously knew that 
when I was a teenager in my early 20s thinking like, wow, that girl's really attractive. Mm. But actually thinking about it more from like the things I found attractive a lot often were um, certain body formations. Like I really started to know this pattern of like a way someone's hips were Mm -hmm. or shoulders or neck, like all of these things. And overall it really was just a certain sense of health Yeah, at the end of the day. Reproductive potential. Oh, yeah. How capable would your offspring be if you were to mate with that creature that could otherwise survive on her own? 100%. So I thought I just really thought J-Lo was a great looking person. (laughs) All this time, it was biological. Shucks. That's so funny. (laughs) Um, So tell me a little bit about what you are doing. Uh, What's the name of your program or or what your... My business is MoveMed. MoveMed. Yeah. Okay. Tell me a little bit about that. So it's a stress protocol. I mean, it's essentially all the tooling that I developed in my uh, experience with my peers and myself uh, over the last two to 10 years. Uh, If we don't have a limbic clarity, our life is really in the wrecks. Like there's not anything that we can do to achieve a rational perspective in life until we can sedate our limbic brain. Um, I train people how to train themselves once I help them recognize their sensory channels. So I help them coordinate if it's, if they're not in, in an injured state, I help them coordinate back to their neutral, making their midline structure or what we perceive as like the tube to tube start to like the opening to the close, our mouth to our butt. <laughs> I make sure that that's more tube stable no, and I a little don't. more coordinated because stability there translates to safety to the nervous system and strength. And so a lot of the lost transaction and body function is I'm just not moving my midline in cohesion. And uh, finding people's ability to perceive that clarity and, oh, wow, I'm so much more comfortable in my body. What's going on? What's going on? I give people that experience and then I teach them how to do it more for themselves. Um, My my friend Chris was one of the few people, if I can say, in my entire life who, uh, despite my difficulty coming across me when he first met me, um, he didn't make me feel like I was a difficulty. And so I had the opportunity for the first time in my life to be patient with myself in a way that I had not been instructed to do so. And it gave me the ability to be permissible in my own company. And uh, I want to provide that for people so that there's 10 years from now, there's a uh, some school program for kids that, like me, grew up with loss or trauma or whatever. And instead of them growing up to feel like uh, life is an option or life is not fully available to us, uh, I want for people to feel like there is more life potential with us because we know what the other side is. And to have peers, to have people who get what it's like to wake up, not wanting to wake up to that day, uh, but who do it anyways, because what's the alternative? Um, I want to make it so that there is a beautiful alternative in their feeling minds. Cause I think this world is full of people who pretend to feel or fake it till they make it. And we're letting that happen and happen and happen. And we're having kids and we're having kids who do the same thing. At the end of the day, it's like, what's the purpose of breeding so many unhappy people? That's all we're doing. We're just making a bunch of people to fill JCPenney and like 
uh, gap clothing aisles to figure out that they're unhappy in the clo- in the skin they wear. Like, make your skin happier and healthier, and it doesn't matter what you wear, doesn't matter what you look like, you'll feel real, and that's all that we really want. We don't want to feel like we're in the matrix. We want to feel like we're real. Mm. And for a lot of us, it's not really something we can do at the start of our day. That can be that can be perceived as as pretty dark, you know, in a sense. It's uh, but there's truth to it. Yeah. That's the the um, strange part is that you know there's a strong sense of of positivity in the world in terms of people pushing this positive culture, and I I find a lot of value in it personally because I've seen what I I felt were very dark days, mm-hmm. and then it's it's hard to you never want to put your at least me personally, I never want to put my own personal experience on someone else and say, well, right. this was my experience. This can be yours. Yeah. Um, and, and, but there's a, a quote that I probably say a thousand times a week that drives everybody insane around me. And it's, uh, it's from this book called Think and Grow Rich. It's in each adversity is the seed of an equivalent or greater opportunity. And the reason that I, I would never want to force that on somebody is like, I, I met this guy at an event in December of 2019. And I, I think he was really the epitome of this sort of thinking. He was a quadriplegic. Um, you know, here he is like, I don't even know how we got up to this event to be honest. Cause there's like, obviously there must've been like special handicap access, but you have hundreds of people and it's this big event it's actually called this kind of, it's almost comical thinking about it because it was called your best year ever blueprint event. And it was all these entrepreneurs or people that wanted to be entrepreneurs, uh, gathering around for a, a big event slash workshop to design their 2020 year. Cause this is December of 2019 to build their best year ever. <laughs> yeah. Kind of ironic. <laughs> yeah. It was, oh my gosh. I, I still kind of laugh about it thinking about it. Um, but this guy had taken his, experience you know here he is you know not the the function that he didn't have uh available to him compared to a lot of people and had really built a a whole life around being a motivational speaker helping others that were like him and i guess on one hand you, you could say well there's not room for everybody who's a quadriplegic to be like that guy but there's probably some version of it so how do you you know, when I think about that that quote or that thought, in each adversity is the seed of an equivalent or greater opportunity, you know, everybody experiences things differently. So I have to kind of put that on myself and say, okay, this is my adversity for me right now. What's, you know, something I can extract out of that? Um, but not everybody operates like that. and Maybe you shouldn't operate like that all the time, if that makes sense. Totally. I just think that learning to undo it is something that, isn't readily available like uh i grew up from maybe the age of i don't really know what trauma associated my difficulty in sleeping but i didn't uh, i read late into the night and like waking up wasn't something that was uh something i looked forward to i was scared of what would come the next day um and to grow up like that as a kid is like even if i have happy things around me i didn't understand why it was i was uncomfortable mm. And uh, even putting a lot of my overstimulation to words, like I, uh, supplantation is an example I use. Uh, 
it was too overwhelming for me as a kid. I didn't like the noise. I didn't like the lights. I didn't like how many people were bustling around. It was too much for me. So I couldn't do it. And so I didn't like the place. Um, if people were more clear on their lack of sens- sensitivity or their lack of sensation when they are in positions of disassociation, the trauma won't indulge so many anxieties, depressions, and whatever. And so people c- can remove some of their neurosis, some of their commitment to like, I am this, I'm always this. And uh, unfortunately, I agree with you, it is dark, but uh, you'd be surprised at how many people are being made like this right now. Oh, it's it's really, it's a significant, it's, it's very significant. And I even find it, it feels different. Like we're very fortunate we live near the coast and the ocean and whether it's pb point loma ocean beach any of these communities i have a certain feeling right palm trees nature like you're just there as soon as i even drive over the freeway you know and start heading east and i go into a little suburban area with shopping centers the energy just feels different it feels more um enclosed yeah just enclosed cut off the energy is way different yeah and but there, I know they're happy people there too. Yeah. Do you think that that some people are just kind of like that's they are in their best state in, in those places? Um, I think everyone is in their best state where they're most comfortable in their own minds. But I think we're all in our best state when we're having to adapt through discomfort. Or at least the most authentic where we get to like show up in a different way to ourselves. That's what kids did. I mean, like, we are the most happy when our brain gets to assess new information and feel confident about its assessment. And if you stay in the same place doing the same thing forever and always, your brain is going to atrophy and die. It's not going to feel like it's as excited to do new stuff. So, like, when your kids want to play a, a, a board game with you and or they want to go uh, outside and play catch and it just doesn't register to your less adaptable brain, that person you're raising is going to be affected. And maybe they're going to have a lesser interest in being as active or careful with their kids. Like, uh, we have so many, like, weird formalities of behavior. But if someone can't show up in the moment to themselves when they're having hardship, when they're having whatever, uh, that's the biggest issue. We go to therapy or we go to psychiatry for the answers or we go to pills for ADD maintenance or whatever. But... Trauma is that associative. If you register your trauma, you can reduce a ton of your uh, neurodivergent behavior. So a lot of trauma comes up like autism. I thought I was autistic for so long, dude, because there was so much uh, like overstimulation that came up in my life that I had no wherewithal for. And then I got this thing uh, through my buddy Chris at Estin Fitness. They put on a um, a uh, seminar for... Uh, PRRT, which is Primal Reflexive Reset uh, Training or Therapy, something like that. It's a brilliant, very much like sacrocranial, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I think it's sacrocranial. We'll call it sacrocranial and then I'll get yelled at later for yeah, having it wrong. S-A-C-R-O <laughs> cranial. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just don't know how to say it properly. It sounds sacro, weird coming out of my mouth. Is it cranial, sacral, sacro? Because sacro, it's just like iliac, like sac, no, sac, sacro, I think. Yeah, it's just not a word I use. Cool. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll get we'll get messaged by the you know president of the yeah. sacra icrosacral 
But it's a great therapy and you should look into it because it does do a lot for the well-being of your head and body, respective of like bone orientation, blood flow, lymph drainage. Uh, we did something similar like that, the PRRT thing. That was a thing that gave me uh, concussion relief, like the eye that's semi-closed. Dude, straight up, he worked on me for two minutes. I was laying on my back. He had done a little bit of pressure and I uh, had learned to assess a muscle underneath my chin that I'd never used before. And... Uh, I got up two minutes later. I'm a little bit out of sorts. I walk outside. The sun hits my skin, and I broke down crying. I had never felt my body so light and like a, just a total reduction of tension that I had been walking around with since I was maybe eight. And do it like it was like I can see more. I can feel more. I can, I don't know. I had more access. It was a Superman pose, but inside without me having to do anything. And when you can feel your brain. Uh, have more access to your body it's like the freedom to be alive it's like the freedom to have access to the thing that potentiates our existence it's a battery that's so that's such a cool experience thanks for sharing that experience through the the very first guest i ever had on here is a really close friend of mine named uh, dr rachel rachel mm -hmm. hamill she had an office over here in pb she just moved to a, her new really beautiful office actually but uh, i've been working with her now for probably two and a half three years it's a game changer. It's yeah. crazy. I, I went, I stopped going there. And she's, some places when you go, they're like, okay, I need to see you two, three times a week for whatever. I remember one of our very, very first conversations. She's like, no, it doesn't work like that. Like, you know, come once and then you might not even need to see me for three weeks or a month or whatever. Totally. And it's crazy. Like, I actually do like sometimes having these little spurts if I'm putting my body through extra torture where I'll mm -hmm. try to go see her like two or three weeks in a row. But there's a phase where your body's healing after that. Mm -hmm. So you don't really need... The integration phase. Yeah, so you don't need to go back all the time. And yeah. I uh, had a uh, my shoulder locked up or neck or whatever it was. And I jumped into one of those little stop and pop, like snack, prepple, pop chiro uh, chiropractors over the mm -hmm. weekend. He He was like checking my leg length and everything and he went huh this is weird or like this is interesting or whatever and i was like yeah what, what do you got going on because he just sort of blurted it out he's like well your legs are even he's like that's very very rare yeah you know because the work with her she got got me all sorted out it's yeah. uh yeah it's it's crazy so shout out to her cool. and uh yeah rachel hamill yeah i can Throw your information. She's yeah. I'd like to take a look at. It. I've never done sacral cranial. I've only learned about it. I've done uh, the PRRT, which is it's reflex training. So it's a, I think a little bit more of a modified version of it done by another chiropractor in San Diego. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't John something. Forgive me for not remembering his name, but PRRT. It's a really tremendously quick uh, way in which to reset a ton of different things in the body. And I've gotten three different adjustments from it, and I've never felt better. Uh, from a momentary glimpse of reflex uh it, like the doctor hitting you on the knee and then all of a sudden you're like wow my body's better mm -hmm. <laughs> but a little more convoluted than that um That's yeah cool, dude man we'll get you we'll have to get you in there say what's up to her she's pretty incredible cool um she also does that stuff where like i see ufc fighters actually like high level champion ufc fighters getting this kind of work regular where she goes in and like manipulates tissue in your mouth and gums and yeah. like jaw and stuff that stuff for me like it totally does something to my nervous system totally. where i just feel like a different person coming out of there so that's main midline that's the entryway to midline if you think in terms of oxygen being an antagonist to the mid or to the nervous system like it's going to irritate everything 
Uh, it's how you navigate that oxygen that gives you sensation and clarity of focus. So most of us, if you're a mouth breather, and that's just to say if you're breathing more, uh, less intensively or less intentionally, excuse me, through your airway, you're going to be a little more slack jawed and that's going to affect the innervation in your abdomen. So like, um, there's innervation that comes from, uh, your lower jaw that interfaces with creating, uh, intra-abdominal pressure or that feeling of being like pressurized and able to take a hit or something in your belly. Uh, if your jaw has a habit of slacking back to your throat, so if people tuck their jaw, if people blow out their cheeks, um, things like that are emphasis to create more stability in a factor that's not there or available to them. So in pressing those points in the face, you're creating an environment of homeostasis through the neural lines, creating the communication channels that would otherwise be in a healthy body from good motion, without injury, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, the nerves communicate. It's mm-hmm. it's the way in which you can develop a healthy. Uh, it's that's what I'm saying. Sensory feedback. It's your nerves communicate through sensory reception, whether it be pressure, heat, temperature, temperature change, uh, electromagnetics, uh, hydro. Um, it's something to do with a uh, um, water pressure and uh, there's like. 15 different hard to name uh, receptors that communicate your sensory profile at any given moment and that's what gives you comfort that's what gives you your map so you have a better one than most people in that you can keep yours oh sorry keep your midline stable and you're not like moving your mouth around or Mm. seeking behaviors wow it's all it's all been a process to undergo because she has a whole system in terms of like people that she'll uh you know See if you if you want to do the work to get assessed in terms of uh, spacing out, you know, things in your jaw, mm-hmm. getting your breathing right. Like my, who knows how many times my nose has actually been broken. So most people have a deviated septum that goes one way. I have the it goes it's more like an S, I think is what they call it. So I, I probably get. I went to this guy in L.A. Um, that she recommended, super cool guy too. So I'm maybe I'll do the surgery, maybe I won't, but I'm I'm probably getting about 30 to 50% of the air I need from both sides instead of just one side. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, extra crazy in terms of the nose breathing. But totally. that's probably why some of that work she does on the jaw really helps too. And she's just, she's really tied into all this stuff. Even things like, um, you know, getting your tongue tied, which is a crazy process. Like, it's really admired. What do you mean getting your tongue tied? Yeah. So like I'm, tie still, it up? I'm learning about that one too. It's called a, a tongue tie. And has something to do with, I don't know if it's like an American thing because we don't do a lot of natural births or whatever. Um, something to do with the the tissue under your tongue and it developing a certain way, maybe it has to do with the way we're eating and all the smoothie stuff and not chewing meat anymore. But uh, they'll go in and they'll like cut. and tr- I know, right? And Okay, so that's your tongue gets super saturated with oxygen? If you're a heavy mouth breather, I guess it just frees up your tongue after you, and you're not supposed to do like, there's an order to all this stuff. Like you want to do maybe your nose first and then you do the spacing, whatever. Not everybody needs it. So there's different levels of it. Yeah. It does something to obviously really help with, um, breathing. Yeah. So you can fix that. Your airway is largely inhibited or manufactured by your digastric muscle. Mm-hmm. And that's that if you don't have a good steady chin, like a boxer has a steady chin that, you can see the underside of the chin mm-hmm. and it doesn't like float back into their jaw. 
people have too much inflammation of their airway and too little stability of the actual mechanism that keeps it from bumping in, like the jaw bumping into the actual airway. And so there's always pressure there. And so instead of us putting weight on our spine, we're putting weight on our throat. Mm. And that puts us into immediate stress state. Like I've sat so much weight on my Adam's apple and so little weight on my cervical spine that I've created some measure of this hump that I had to f- had to like free and release because there was so much tension in my part, partly due to hit me hitting my head too because I had hit my head when I was young on my face and then two years ago in the back of my head. So there's like congestion of tissue there. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, what I meant to say with with that is like using the muscle underneath the chin, I was able to create more airway, create more stability of the of my jaw, but when our jaw shrinks, we have less space for our tongue. Mm-hmm. And if our tongue is always exposed to air, it's going to supersaturate and inflame. And that tissue is going to get longer just because there's less grip. There's more slack there. And the tongue does form our jaw, does form our throat, does form our mewing or the effort of being able to pressurize our jaw is what keeps us from, uh, uh, keeps us in the pelvic floor. So mewing is what establishes top and bottom of midline at the same time so if your tongue isn't pressurized to the roof of your mouth you're more than likely not well mapped and it's just it all comes down to how your brain can perceive itself the interoception is your still perception of self and proprioception is how people usually utilize their mappings awareness they'll they'll move around to figure out how they how they feel and where they are in space but interoception like you're sitting wherewithal it's why meditation is hard for a lot of people it's because they don't have a map and so they're freaking out because they're antagonizing their nervous system, creating a map that they cannot coordinate or don't know how to. And so it's just panic. It's like you're breathing in panic. I, uh, yeah, so it's crazy. It's interesting too, because a lot of people think their experience is unique, right? We, when we're going through and we're first uncovering things sometimes like that, maybe that first level or whatever level of awareness, like I'm the one who's discovered this. Yeah. Like, look, oh my gosh, like this is me. And so some people that's, I think it also goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where some people will not share things because like, oh, I'm not happy at my job or whatever, but there's all these little things in different parts of life where this makes me weird or different or like I used to have, uh, this was probably late teens, early twenties. Like I, I don't like to label things a whole lot. I think sometimes we have to acknowledge where they're at. But if, if we start saying things like, you know, I have panic attacks, well, we're, we're stuck in a thought owning it. Yeah. Well, it's good to own it, but you can also trap yourself. That's what I'm saying. You're, You're owning the experience as if it's your identity. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you, you may not break out of it if you're stuck there in totally. that loop. So it's it's different to kind of detach yourself from it and say something that I experience is panic attacks, yeah. but I'm figuring out how to break free of that. It's not even something I really think about anymore mm-hmm. other than like talking to you. I'm like, oh yeah, I used to like, you know, have them pretty regularly, but I didn't know, didn't understand what they were, mm-hmm. didn't really communicate to people. Um, and it, it's neat to see like no medication, like you can figure out how to get rid of those things. Uh, but the first time I meditated was with a lady that I was going to this, I was studying psychology and they kind of encourage you like, go see a psychologist, you know, get that experience if you mm-hmm. plan on going this route. And I found one that was really cool, like a mix of, you know, Western hatter degrees or whatever, but also founded in um, Eastern, uh, uh, like actual traditional philosophies on life and wisdom and one day she's like, you seem pretty open to stuff. Would you be interested in meditating? And this was 
it's probably about 11 years ago at this point. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so she's guiding me through, um, whatever direction she gave me. I remember visualizing the ice cave from fight club. Mm. Have you ever seen fight club? Mm -hmm. There's a little scene in there where there's like a penguin and an ice cave. It's a small scene in the movie. Okay. But it just, it, it felt really good to me. I don't know why it came out. And so we are, you know, we're going through, she's got me through this meditation and I just start laughing because I, I had a panic attack. Like my mm -hmm. brain started racing and I started freaking out. Body temperature went up. I'm turning red mm -hmm. and all this stuff starts happening. And then afterwards, and she was trying to play it all cool and she's like, okay, how was that? And I'm like, it happened. Like just trying to quiet my mind. Like You're it just stress response. freaked out. Yeah. And uh, it took a while to train the brain to just be okay with the thoughts and look at them and mm -hmm. process them. But, you know, it makes me curious how many people are living like that. Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, like when I try to communicate sensory information, unless someone can pick up on this feels like this and they can coordinate off of a sensation, they don't have a wherewithal for how their body moves. And if I cannot communicate a sensation to someone that they can pick up on, I know immediately that they're sympathetic. If you cannot feel your body, if you do not hear the messages coming from your body, your brain cannot communicate with your body. There's something impeding it. That's it. You should be able to feel every bit of your body. And you should show the tone and the innervation to suggest your body's healthy. And if it doesn't show, it's not felt or visual, then you're not as healthy as you could otherwise be in your brain. Your brain shows up in your body. And I think that dialogue is super important because... It, 98% of doctors are not healthy. The healthiest doctors I've ever seen are chiropractors. They're jacked and they work out and they have nine years of education and uh, they just don't have the lab coat. <laughs> yeah. I like this guy, Dr. Bo Hightower. Mm -hmm. You ever seen that guy with yeah. the big chisel and stuff? They're going to start selling those things early next year because oh, I've been encouraging so Dr. Rachel. I'm like, dude, get one of these things because sometimes I'll have something that's like really hard for her mm -hmm. to get to. And I know she like really, really tries, but you have, you know, I don't it's know. a big hammer. Yeah. So there's a tool that they usually use as a clicker. That is the normal one. I just, yeah. I think it'd be fun. I think you'd do better with the. I just, yeah, I just want her to beat me up with it and have, I'm like, experiment, let's figure this out. I also think it's better to get more vibration through the system, vibration or perturbation, like the response of like contact and then having to undulate yourself back to neutral. Hmm. It's running. It's why, I, okay, I hate running because I can only hear my feet in my head. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't need the feedback to know where my body is in space. I have really good proprioception. Um, but, there's some people who love running. It quiets their mind. And I can guarantee to you those people are just mapping their body in the way that they know how to do because they have a systemized pattern of gait. Mm. And that gait is the most accessible to their brain to do without thinking. And so they have autonomized their mappings, whatever. And it's how some people dialogue their sympathetic. They have to do the thing to come back to themselves. Yeah, you got me thinking my jaw now here too. And I'm like, ah, oh, this has been, I've been doing so much stuff on shifting everything. Like all this stuff has been so weird. Try this. Um, Take your thumb, hook mm -hmm. underneath your chin, like you're pulling your lower jaw toward your foreteeth. Mm -hmm. And I want for you to press downward against it. So you're just creating a little bit of pressure against your thumb. Open your jaw. And then try to get your teeth underneath your top teeth. There we are. 
So that should feel like a little bit of release on your trigeminal nerve, the nerve right behind your jaw, yeah, right next to your, right yeah. Yeah. So it's, has three pairs or three delivery lines, goes in the jaw, the nose, eyes, or in the direction of. Uh, and if the structure's off or if there's some inflammation or whatever, you're going to have some restriction on something. Uh, that's why teeth health is super important because yeah. the nerves innervate everywhere. Yeah, it's uh, I found these little spots all over over time. Like sometimes, just you know, when you're sitting around, I work to create more space now to just sit and do nothing mm-hmm. because your body or your mind or whatever will just tell you things. Like we're in a constant state of go, so you just you need to create. You know, like I'm just gonna lay here and do nothing for 20 minutes and see what happens. Hear what's being said. Yeah, get off your phone, whatever. That's mm-hmm. really hard for some of us to do sometimes, but it's uh, it's so valuable. So I'll find these like little pressure points, and my body's like, "Hey, poke here." You know, like check this out. What's going on here? And you just you unlock something mm-hmm. that's so that's so cool. So the running thing. Can people change that mapping system? Like if they were a runner and they love it and then all of a sudden they're not allowed to go outside because, you know, California is crazy. Yeah. Uh, how, you know, can, you, can you still get that same response from changing your mapping? Uh, well, I don't think that they're changing their mapping during the run. The, the, they're just giving themselves a map, a living map to work with. So they don't know how their body feels or they don't have an awareness of certain things. And so to facilitate more confidence in their experience of self, they run to give them a full, complete map. Um, I think better versions of that, dancing, drumming, singing, things that elucidate more from the inside out. Uh, and a rhythm really does help with that. So something that you can follow along to or like dance to, whatever. Um, yeah, I think the more... So we're social creatures. If we acted more like dogs, we'd be happier. <laughs> um, but a lot of us act like cats, kind of. Uh, I think that less ask, less making people earn the our, our attention and earn our company and trying to facilitate more authentic interaction in general will make you seek more things, seek more behaviors, because you're giving yourself the opportunity to see less threat around the corner. Uh, if we are always living in a product of stress and threat, then we're not happy, we're not healthy, we're not authentic. We, we're not our person. And majority of us are in a upregulated state, removed from our person just because of some stress factor that we never really attended to. And we live in a life that we puzzle piece around that stress just to make it so that we don't have that stress uh, super prevalent in our day-to-day, or it's not the thing that's killing us, but it's the thing that occupies us. So it is the thing that molds our life. If we get rid of our, that wherewithal, if we get lit, rid of that, like in Hindu culture, they call it subscara. It's the scar of the nervous system. It's the, the resident trauma that we can't see, but we can feel. And if we can't fix that trauma, uh, we will live forever with a scarred nervous system. And what we want to have happen is acknowledge the trauma thank it for whatever we learn from it as you were saying what can we take away from this experience but at the end of the day we're not that experience we are this person so we have to okay moving on there's other things to experience uh, otherwise we're just gonna be stuck in memories and trauma so you're a very intellectual dude i mean that's pretty obvious from the moment you walked in the door uh 
When you're working with clients, you know, do you find that you do you communicate at at that kind of intellectual capacity or do you usually find yourself in a in a teaching mode where, you know, simplification brings a lot of value? Depends on uh, how present I am. I'm not a great trainer, uh, but I do have some great information that if I'm in a present space to be like really available, I'm a fantastic trainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to be more, uh, it's not like a hit or miss kind of thing with me. It's like a, um, if I'm a little stressed out, you might get a little bit less access to me uh, and or at least in the past. And I've built on my ability to register when I'm not communicating super effectively, but I know I still do it sometimes. Um, yeah, I think it's just confidence in my application. I was talking to people as opposed to talking from my experience and like how this can work for, not how this worked for me and how it can work for you, but like this is what I experienced. This is how I took my, my time. This is how I went here and here and here. And the more I can communicate those things, the more effective it becomes. I don't know if I answered your question there. No, it's cool. It's uh. And how long have you been uh, training? Um, I've been in the gym since I was 10, but I've uh, been training or a trainer for eight years or so. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, dude, that's, I mean, something magical about that 10-year mark is you come up on it where mm-hmm. everything can start to come together and things you've been thinking about or working and you're surrounded by really, um, I mean, San Diego is like a, a beautiful mecca of It's a world capital functional personal training. There's 7,500 health and fitness or health wellness coaches between wow. downtown and Carlsbad. That's crazy. Yeah, it's significant. It's like a sixteen percent increase in the uh, in the um, what's it called uh, in the profession each year. There so, might be more trainers now than there are real estate agents. Yeah, <laughs> quite possibly. <laughs> that's that's super cool. So uh, walking through. So you're, one thing you said right when we started off the bat was about regardless of being in any emotional state, you know, unlocking that potential to, and these probably, this part probably wasn't your word, it's more of what I got away from it, was to just show up and like, I don't know, do the work, right? Or or get what needs to get done. Yeah. Um, a group of people that I run with did a, a great job in terms of shaping me around that you know they call it getting your head right really like that's how you start your day you just get your head right Mm. whatever that means make that mental adjustment i felt pretty fortunate for a while i was just like so disappointed in such a rhythm and routine i didn't have to spend a lot of time on it because my routine was so good and i Mm. just you know that makes a huge difference yeah i just slept like super well didn't have any challenges sleeping i got just like whatever you know and people were like i have trouble sleeping i'm like just Turn off your phone at six o'clock. Atomic habits. Yeah, eat right. Oh, that's been a popular book floating around um, lately. So or a compound effect. Yeah, I probably could. I have both of them. I haven't read them, but they're floating around here somewhere. Uh, so when people would say things like, oh, "I'm having trouble sleeping" or this or that, it's like for me, it was just like eat right, drink a bunch right. of water, stay away from garbage stuff. You know, work out early and hard, and all those things. And I think it just created that a lot of stuff shifted for most people in the last 18 19 months and i started started having a little sleeping trouble like mm. challenges i'd wake up at like two in the morning i'm going this is yeah this is crazy but one of the as frustrating as it was to be like why is my brain wide awake at 2 30 in the morning right now um you know deciding do i just get up and start working is that gonna be back to sleep like how do i do this uh but it it helped me a lot um in the getting my head right department 
because I really started going, well, I have super significant things to do today. And the fact that I got four and a half hours of sleep doesn't matter to anybody else. Like that's a me thing. Yeah. And I still have to show up for other totally. people in a certain way. Yeah. Have you found some, is that kind of what you were talking about earlier in terms of working through that or figuring that out? Um, I've never really had an issue with, uh, I had an issue with the motivation after the fact. Like if I'm starting the next day, I'll do it, but I won't feel great about it. Mm-hmm. One of my clients had told, to, told me he, uh, something like he had gone into work super hungover or, uh, no, uh, an employee had gone into work super un- hungover and, uh, he didn't have an issue with that. He just had an issue with the bringing the, the hangover into work. Mm. He's like, do your thing, but just leave it at home. Like you're, you chose to do it. So continue with what you did, but don't bring it along. And I, uh, yeah, I like the aspect of, I think some people I respect more who they don't say fake it till you make it, but they put on their shoes and they put on their hat and they do it. And it's maybe not like they did it with enthusiasm. Maybe not they did whatever, but they do it with consistency and integrity. And so they can feel good about it. Um, yeah, man, I think uh, making excuses is just you hearing a voice in your head saying you're wrong all the time. Mm. And it's not permission. It's operating from a place of not asking for permission in a, in a, healthy way not like hey i just you know borrowed your car didn't yeah. feel like asking for permission yeah. right but more permission to be yourself be right. a good person like you know unlock your behaviors that's a good way to do it yeah there's a guy named uh dom he goes by dom the hypnotist like on his social media but he's a mental performance coach mm. trains like jujitsu like 10th planet out in um he's based out of vegas i believe okay but he works with like ufc athletes and other athletes he works with a a lot of different variety of people and i remember him saying or doing something that was like like be it until you believe it because so many people deal with imposter syndrome and i used to like operate with the concept of fake it to make it i'm like well here's where i can like picture myself being right i would imagine myself kind of a little bit of future visioning like that's what i'm working towards and i had to i love that that thing was called trust the process i say that all the time mm-hmm. like i know if i do xyz i can you know expect certain results maybe not right away sometimes it's a few efforts at it but the consistency is what creates results so you have to trust the process and uh, i like the way he just he had put it because mm-hmm. i found myself like in a state of being or you know, doing the things, emulating the behaviors that the future version of myself I had in my mind would be behaving. Yeah. And it helped create it. Yeah. It's, it's really having confidence in yourself. It's like the way I think about it is, uh, it looks like a lot of people don't trust their own behaviors and that's why they have to manufacture so many protocols. I trust myself enough to know that I'm not going to hurt people for no reason. I trust myself that I'm not going to be like violent for no reason. Uh, and I trust myself that I'm not going to be self-destructive. Like I'm going to do the things that I think are going to be the most productive for me feeling good after the fact. And if I'm reactionary or if I'm not thinking about how I feel, then I know I'm probably a little reactionary. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think having the tool, the tooling system to be like, if you've taken yourself to a point where you feel like you're in difficulty, it's not about how, how do you get back to the perfect self, but 
what do you bring yourself to to remind yourself that there is a place to go like the continued helping yourself get to the, get there the journey is the effort of coming to love yourself it's the effort of coming to like you're only in this with you only you even if you develop a life with people otherwise it's they may be dependent on you but it, you're only living with you and you have this picture of how you've been throughout your life uh but it's only up to you to find that picture make it improvement finding that picture improve as you come along i think that we uh, we all get weird about we find out who we are and at 30 we stop being uh transitional or adaptive and then just waste away now there's a better version of mouth of me out there every day that I get to work on. And it's a, it's an exciting thing. That's a, a really cool what you shared. Is there anything else that you just like that you had in your mind that you wanted to, to talk about while we had this time together today? Um, I think if any people have any interest in finding out more about, uh, themselves, um, it's great to go outside of yourself and ask a therapist it's great to go outside yourself and ask who you like who um who you care about the opinion of what they would do um but until such time as you start making decisions that are scary to you not guided by someone else uh you will never have put your feet in the water to find out what's going to happen you never like try another thing i think um the whole thing that I am trying to elucidate in with my clients or people who follow along with my system is you can find your own comfort, you can find your own peace of mind, uh, but it does require finding out who you are intrinsically, finding out who you are by listening to how you respond to things, and then building a tooling system around how you want to orient with the world therein. Um, I myself am not a, uh, depressive person in that I want to lose my life or anything like that, but I do have chronic depression and I have like issues with when I wake up, I'm not happy sometimes. I'm pretty sad for no reason. And yesterday I thought to myself, who do I call right now to feel better about how I feel? Cause someone, one of my best friends passed away and, uh, it's hard. But I think more of the effect, it's lonely and it makes you realize that for the moment that you're not thinking about work or what you're going to do next, now has a feeling. And how significant you are present to now is how significantly you are present to all the opportunities in the world. And those are not necessarily opportunities that make you have a different life, but they're the opportunities that make you appreciate this life. So... I think if there's any takeaway from what I'm talking about, um, next time you give someone a hug, use both your hands and touch your chest to them. Um, next time you see a little kid, smile at them. Give them an induction of social behavior that you would want to have seen. Um, say thank you and look people in the eyes so they know you're talking to them. Uh yeah, man, get connected with your feeling because it's pretty tiring being around people who don't look like they feel shit. There's a lot of people out like out there like that that are the kind of people it seems like you're looking for. So 
uh, I know that um, some of our mutual friends are people like that, which is pretty cool. So I know you're on the right path with the right people. And uh, I'll teach you something here. Maybe you've already heard of it, but uh, before we take off, it's called the open heart hug. Yeah, left to left. There you go. You got it. All right. You already know, man. I've just done a transformational training that they introduced us. Wow. Was it having anything to do with the Heart Math Institute by any chance? It was MITT, Mastery of Transformational Training. Okay. Well, it's taken on the world by storm. So I will, uh, I got a couple things for you before you go. It's awesome. Hey, man. Really appreciate getting this time together, you know, for you to to show up um, with all the things happening in your life. Uh, It takes a strong person to do that. So I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you having me, man. Absolutely. Enjoyed it. This is the first edit on this. Are you ready? This is the real secret of life. To be completely engaged. Welcome to the Human Derek Podcast. Connecting you with the seven fundamentals of life that will take you to the next level. Everybody wants to fulfill the highest, truest expression of yourself. (laughs) It was all a dream. Today is about the power of you. You've now entered the Human Derek Podcast.